Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 1, 8 through chapter 2, 10. Let us listen now for God's word to us. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase. And in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if if it is a boy, kill him. But, If it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying, and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl... So the... So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me. I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. And when the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord. What's in a name? 
Now, you're probably aware that when it comes to the characters in the Bible, there's actually quite a bit. Names are very, very important throughout the Scriptures. And today we meet two women, Shifra and Pua, who most of us are probably pretty unfamiliar with. Maybe we've heard about the midwives before, but there's not a whole lot about them that we know. They're rather minor characters in the grand scheme of the biblical narrative. But these two women have an enormous impact on the history of God's people. And one of the things that is so surprising about these two women, who suddenly appear and then disappear just as quickly, is that we're told their names. It's incredibly rare in the Bible, in ancient literature in general, to be given the names of women, especially those who are so briefly part of a narrative. For instance, you might remember last week we read the story of the Canaanite woman who came to Jesus and asked for her daughter to be healed. Unfortunately, the only way we have to refer to her is as the Canaanite woman or the Syrophoenician woman, depending on which version you read. Because even though, as we saw last week, even though she had this tremendous and profound impact on Jesus' life and ministry, she remains anonymous, like so many other women throughout history. Women who have profoundly impacted and shaped the world, who were not deemed worthy enough to be named by the men who told their stories. But not Shifra and Pua. We know their names. Not even the Pharaoh is named here, which is really interesting. As one scholar puts it, it doesn't really matter because if you've met one Pharaoh, you've met them all. They're They're pretty similar. But Shifra and Pua, we we do know their names, but sadly, that's, that's kind of about all we know about them. And interestingly, when the narrator introduces them, uh, in in the version that we read, they're just simply called Hebrew midwives. But the Hebrew literally reads, midwives of the Hebrews. So in other words, we don't know if these women were themselves Hebrew or not. They could have been Egyptian women whose job it was to be midwives for the Hebrews, or perhaps some other ethnicity altogether. This is important because as the narrative is unfolding, we don't know whose side they're on when Pharaoh gives this command to kill all of the Hebrew baby boys. But then we find out this key piece of information. The narrator tells us that these midwives feared God. So whatever ethnicity these women were, whether Hebrew, Egyptian, or something else, these were God-fearing women. They feared the God of the Hebrews, the God who will later reveal himself as Yahweh to the boy who will soon be floating down the river. Shifra and Pua feared God. And fear is a powerful force throughout this narrative. It is fear that motivates the Pharaoh's initial actions. The story begins rather ominously. A new king arose in Egypt who did not know Joseph. This is an important piece of information. You may remember that Joseph was one of the sons of Jacob. Specifically, he was the one who had that really fantastic coat. Now, Joseph had a bit of a falling out with his brothers, and they then sold him into slavery to some merchants. And then he was later sold to Potiphar, who was the captain of Pharaoh's guard. And Potiphar's wife made up a rather salacious story about him, which landed him in jail. And by this point, so so then after a a couple years in prison, he has this strange, uh, 
Potiphar has this strange dream. No, I'm sorry. Uh, one of the guards in the prison has this dream. And he goes, he's talking about it. He doesn't know uh, what to think about it. And Joseph interprets the dream for him. So Joseph kind of gets this reputation as being a bit of a dream interpreter. After a couple of years, Pharaoh has a dream himself that distresses him greatly. He doesn't know what it means. So Pharaoh summons Joseph, this dream interpreter, and Joseph interprets the dream for him. He tells him, there will be seven years of abundance, followed by seven years of famine. So, he says, you should save up as much food as you can in this seven years of abundance so that the people can eat. And the Pharaoh is so impressed and so moved that he makes Joseph, this prisoner, a ruler over certain parts of Egypt, part of Pharaoh's inner circle, his inner court. And then Joseph and his family live out their days in prosperity and abundance. But that generation passes away, and a new king comes to power, a new Pharaoh. And this king does not know about Joseph. He does not know that if it had not been for a Hebrew man, the Egyptian kingdom may not even exist. He may not even exist. In the meantime, the Israelites have been doing what people tend to do, make babies. So much so that the Pharaoh realizes that the Egyptians are about to be outnumbered. So he, he, he fears the potential power that these people have. So because of that, he enslaves and oppresses them. But they continue to multiply and to spread. And as they do, his fear grows and grows and grows. He's so afraid of an uprising that he doesn't even think twice about ordering the slaughter of every male child that is born. And when the, when the midwives don't follow through on his commands, he, he sends out a command to all good Egyptians everywhere. If you see a Hebrew baby boy, toss him in the river. Toss him into the Nile. His fear of the masses is so powerful that he commands his own people to participate in infanticide. As a side note, it's a wonderful twist of irony that he only orders the death of the boys, allowing the girls to live because he doesn't believe that women will pose any threat to him. Yet throughout this narrative, it is the women who consistently thwart his plans and start the course of events that ultimately will lead to his demise. As we've seen time after time, God moves powerfully through those who are ignored and discarded. So while one kind of fear dominates Pharaoh's life, it is another kind of fear that guides Shifra and Pua. They fear the Lord. We're told this twice in the short time that they are part of the narrative, that they fear God. But even more than what is said about them, we see it in their actions. We see that they fear God because they knowingly and willingly disobey a direct command from the Pharaoh, putting their own lives on the line because the God that they fear is the God of life, not the God of death. They worship the God who perhaps referring back to the Exodus event, the God who speaks through Isaiah and says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and the rivers will not overwhelm you. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. Shifra and Pua knew to whom they belong, and it wasn't Pharaoh. It was the God of Israel. 
And Shifra and Pua live their lives in fear. Well, Pharaoh also lives his life in fear. But the fear that Shifra and Pua have for God is different than the fear that Pharaoh has of the Hebrew people. Shifra and Pua fear God in the sense that the author of Proverbs says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear they have for God is one of reverence, respect, honor, and worship. They're not afraid of God in the sense that they're afraid that if they do the wrong thing, God will punish them or strike them down or smite them. But they honor God with their lives and are willing to risk their own lives for the sake of being faithful to the God of Israel. Most people in this kingdom feared Pharaoh, but Shifra and Pua feared God. And the fear that drives Pharaoh is a fear of what is different, what is other. From Pharaoh's perspective, these people are a threat, not only because there's so many of them, but also because they're different. They're not us. They're not Egyptian. They, they, might, even, you know, they might even have some strange customs. They might do things a little bit differently. You know, Egyptians, they know well and understand how it works. They know they have a healthy dose of fear of Pharaoh. But these Israelites, they don't, they don't worship our gods. They have these odd ways of going about life, these strange customs. And, and his fear of their difference overwhelms him and consumes him. Fear is incredibly powerful. And we live in a world that thrives on fear, particularly on fear of what is different. And the more we allow ourselves to get sucked into that, that fear that is so driven by a, a fear-based narrative, particularly in the media and other places, the more we too begin to look like Pharaoh. The more we begin to fear those who are different, those that we think might pose some sort of threat. And it is that fear that can lead to all sorts of awful things that we see around the world, things that we've mentioned even this morning. It is fear of what is different that has led to the slaughter of people all around the world, including uh, the journalist that we talked about already. It is fear that leads to uh, an unarmed teenager being shot in the middle of the street. It's fear that in response to that leads some to destroy and, and loot and to commit acts of violence. It is fear that leads police to respond even to some peaceful protesters with things like tear gas and rubber bullets that have affected even children, the elderly, pastors who are there demonstrating peacefully. It's this fear that prevents us from seeing others as fully human. It's this fear that prevents us from listening to their stories and hearing their voices. We are called to live a life that is defined by fear, but not the Pharaoh's fear. Not the fear of the other that dominates so much of our world and has come to define so many of our lives. We are called to fear like Shifra and Pua. We are called to a fear of the Lord that may even lead us to put our own lives on the line for the very people we are told we are supposed to fear. That's the amazing thing about Shifra and Pua. They, they didn't buy Pharaoh's narrative. He told them these people are a potential threat. They need to, they need to be eradicated. We need to get rid of them. But they didn't allow his propaganda to trump their fear and their trust in God. Shifra and Pua are for us an incredible example of what it looks like 
to resist the dominant cultural narrative of fear and to cling only to fear of the Lord, which leads to life. So we, we have a choice to make. Whom do we fear? Do we allow our lives to be consumed by the fear of the Pharaoh, this fear of the other, the fear of what is different? Or do we allow our lives to be defined and guided by fear of the Lord, fear of the God of life, fear of the God of Shifra and Pua? I pray that our choice will be the latter and that we will fear the Lord and the Lord only. Amen.